Thank you, Gary and Marty, for sharing of your talents and gifts for the glory of God today. And we're glad that you were able to do that. We're blessed by the songs that you've sung. And uh, as we get into God's Word today, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. Uh, we'll be back in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 today, as over the last four weeks, I've been working through answering the question of what is the gospel? Uh, you know, that's a word that we throw around all the time now is the gospel truth and gospel music and all that. But I think a lot of times we miss the simplicity and the importance of the gospel. And so we've looked over the last three weeks at different objects of the gospel, different purposes of the gospel message as we've worked through John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And so we come to the last message that I want to preach on the gospel this, uh, this week as we look at the gospel of grace. And so let's read together John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and then I will pray and we'll get into the sermon. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, God's Word says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. <clears throat> in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This is, was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You again for Your Word, for the way that it shapes us and changes us, forms us into the people that You would have us to be. And we're, we're thankful, most importantly, for the true and living Word of God in Jesus Christ who is, has brought us truth and life and light and grace. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the truth of your gospel today. Lord, I pray that you would work on the person who has not trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, that they would turn in faith and repentance today and believe in the God of grace who has forgiven them through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless me, give me the strength and uh, energy to speak as you would have me to. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, you know, grace is something that we all long for. Whether it's something that 
you need from someone else or something that you uh, long to give to someone. Grace is something that I think is, is written on the human heart. It's something that we long for. It's written into the fabric of our lives. It's written, it's uh, as though we all know somehow that we need grace. We are undeserving of grace, but we long for it and we wait for it. It's even woven into the fabric of our storytelling. You know, if you watch enough movies, which I on occasion get a chance to watch a movie here or there, but one of the things that's fascinating to me is just how often the theme of grace shows up in our stories. If you think about like the Lord of the Rings, for example, and how uh, the, the whole story hinges on this innocent hobbit who must take this ring of power to, the, to Mount Doom and destroy it so that all of the world will be saved from the curse that this ring has brought on that world. Or if you think about uh, one of my favorite movies, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I've, I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again. I'm sorry, but this is just one of my favorite movies. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? In that movie, the main character, Ulysses, is on the run from the law. The whole movie is about his attempt to escape this lawman and his hound that are tracking him down at every turn. And, and Ulysses uses his cunning and his planning to try to escape the lawman and to reconcile with his wife. And he, it, finally, at some point in the movie, towards the uh, end of the movie, he obtains a pardon from the governor and, and uh, he is able to reconcile somewhat with his wife. On one condition, his wife demands that in order for him to be completely reconciled with her, he must go to their old home place, which incidentally is about to be flooded by the damming up of a river. But he must go, even though it's the day that the dam is going to be set, he must go and recover the old ring that they had at their earlier engagement. And so he goes out to his old home place, uh, pardoned, about to be reconciled with his wife. He fumbles through the house and he finds the ring. And as he steps off the porch to leave the house, there is the lawman and his hound. And Ulysses makes all these pleas and he insists, I've been pardoned by the governor, don't you know? And the lawman won't hear it. Ulysses uses all these flowering words and he, uh, he tries to plead in every way that he can and with the heights of the English language, he tries to plead his case against the lawman and his hound and the lawman begins to throw a rope over a limb. And he lets down the noose. And right before they go to put the noose over Ulysses' head and hang him there, in his old home place, he hits his knees and he begins to pray to a God that he has ignored and even made fun of throughout the rest of the movie. He begins to beg for mercy and from, for grace from this God that he has ignored. And in that instant, the floodwaters come. And it washes away the lawman, it washes away the hound, it washes away his old life, the house, and all that he had. He is baptized into a new life, purely by grace alone. 
This theme of grace is etched into our hearts because we know, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we know that something is wrong. I mean, you can turn on the news any given week and you can find evidence of that. In it seems like every week there is a report of another mass shooting. Corporations celebrate unbridled freedom with their engagement in the sexual revolution. The rich and the powerful openly abuse other people. And uh, at, very, at the most, it seems that they only get a slap on the wrist. But we don't have to look at the news to know that it's true that we need grace. We can look at our own sinful hearts too. While we grow angry about the crime in our city and in our country, yet we, fe- we tend to ignore the fact that we rage against our fellow men in our own heart, harboring hate towards others. We foster our own lust, mulling over our sexual desires in our mind or seeking them out in the privacy of our own computer screens. We despise the rich and the powerful for their abuse, knowing good and well that we covet that power and that wealth so that we might have it to mold our world into our image. The Bible calls this condition sin. We need grace because we are all sinners. Now you might be thinking, oh, now wait a minute, preacher. I know I do a few things wrong here or there, but I'm not a mass murderer and I'm not a sexual deviant or a greedy rich man. Plus, if I need to, I can always just clean up and live right and and then God will accept me. But to say that is to misunderstand the depth and complexity of sin. You see, sin is not just, and I want you to get this out of your head and and correct this error that we tend to believe about sin. Sin is not just an act that you do against God's will. Now, it certainly is that, but sin is not just each individual act that you commit against God. Sin is a condition of your heart. The Bible speaks of three aspects to sin. It's depth, it's dominion, and it's desire. So first, sin has a depth to it. It reaches all the way down to the core of who we are. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul explains that sin entered this world through one man, the first man, Adam. When Adam rebelled against God by taking the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil so that he might be like God, he brought sin into the world. And sin didn't just stop with Adam. It permeated all who were descended from Adam and That's everyone. We know right now that that is true because of one point of evidence. Everyone dies. As Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. And death is all around us. So sin extends to everyone 
who is a who is a child of Adam. Second, sin has a dominion or has a domain. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, Paul tells us that everyone is born under the domain of Satan or as Paul says it there, the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan. Satan rules over all who are not in Jesus Christ. As Paul describes it, he, we walk after him. We follow him. We do his will. As Jesus says in John chapter 8, you're, you are of your father the devil and your desire is to do his will. You might be thinking, well, no preacher, I'm, I'm not a child of Satan. I mean, I'm not a Satan worshiper. I don't go out and, and sacrifice animals in the woods and, and dance around a fire. I'm, I'm, I'm led by my own desires. I'm my own man. And Satan has no control over me. You might think that, but your heart betrays you. You know, saying something like that, saying, well, Satan doesn't have any control over me. I'm, I'm my own man. It's kind of like, that what happens every four years when we have a presidential election, inevitably someone will post on social media or have a bumper sticker that says, not my president, right? Well, try saying not my president when the IRS agent shows up or when the draft sergeant shows up. He's your president whether you like it or not, and he has rule over you whether you like it or not. And in the same way, Satan is your Lord if you are outside of Christ, whether you acknowledge Him as such or not. Finally, sin has a desire. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Sin is not just something we are conditioned to do because of our, our, our birth in Adam. It's not just something that uh, we are forced to do because of our rule, uh, the rule of Satan. Sin is something that you desire to do because your heart is turned against God. No wonder we long for grace. No wonder we weave grace into our stories. We need it. So badly, we need a change of nature and a change of dominion. And I have good news for you today. Jesus Christ has come to give us that grace that we so badly need. Back in John chapter 1, the gospel writer tells us in verses 14 through 18 of three ways that Jesus brings us grace. First, in verse 14, Jesus brings the embodiment of grace. John says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Now, it's popular in Christian circles, especially right now around the time of Christmas, to emphasize or to say that uh, Christmas is not as important as Easter because the most important work that Jesus did is his death and resurrection. But actually, I think that misses the point. Jesus' work of salvation began in the manger in Bethlehem. You see, in taking on human flesh, Jesus did what Adam failed to do and what you failed 
to do. He lived in perfect obedience to his father. He resisted the temptations of Satan in the wilderness and beyond. He perfectly obeyed the law of Moses. And he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So catch this now and understand, as far as the depth of the sin of Adam goes, Jesus went there too. All the way to the grave. Second, Jesus brings the eminence of grace. In verse 16, John says, we have all received grace upon grace from Jesus. I love this phrase. We have received grace upon grace. Another way of saying this in the Greek is to say, we have received grace in the place of grace. It's kind of like Thanksgiving. You know, if you go, if you went to my grandmama's house in, during Thanksgiving, you did not maintain an empty plate. It was forbidden that your plate should ever go empty. As soon as your glass was half uh, empty, grandmama was filling it back up. As soon as your plate was missing some dressing, grandmama would say, what, what does Nathan need? It looks like he needs some dressing. Pass Nathan the dressing. That's what I envision with this idea of grace upon grace. As soon as we feel that God's grace is lacking to us, no, there's more grace coming. Jesus is pouring out His grace. It's the idea that God is heaping grace on us in Jesus Christ. Everywhere we turn, there is more grace in Jesus. In His earthly life and ministry, Jesus gave us grace by living in perfect obedience to God and revealing God to us. In His death on the cross, Jesus gave us grace by paying the full penalty of our sin through His shed blood. In rising again from the grave, Jesus gave us grace by defeating the judgment of sin, which is death and hell for us. In ascending on high, Jesus gave us grace by giving us His Spirit so that we might have His presence with us as we live faithfully for Him. Jesus is full of grace. Friend, understand that it does not matter who you are. It does not matter where you've been or where you are in this moment. Jesus' grace is enough to forgive you, to wash you clean of the guilt and the shame of your past and even your present struggles. His grace is always present and always abounding in every need. It is grace upon grace. Finally, Jesus brings the effectiveness of of grace. In verse 17, John says that the law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. One of the main purposes of the law of God is to reveal our sins. It's like a mirror that shows us who we really are. It reveals what we really look like on the inside. It reveals the ugliness of our sins, no matter how much we try to pretty it up. To go back to the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's like that hound that is constantly tracking Ulysses down, constantly uncovering him when he thinks that he's hidden, when he thinks that he's escaped. There it is, 
to discover Him again. It doesn't matter how cunning we are. It doesn't matter how much we dress up, how much Dapper Dan we put on, if you understand the movie. How clean we look to others. The law knows who we really are. It can smell the stench of our sin through all that piety and all those good works. The law condemns us and sentences us to death. But oh friend, hear the good news of the gospel today. Jesus has already taken the punishment that the law would require. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Today, you can be free from the condemnation of the law through the grace that is available in Jesus Christ. But you must be in Jesus. And to do that, you must repent of your sins, which means that you change your mind about your sins. No more treating it like it doesn't matter. No more treating it like it, you know, it's not as bad as these other people. No more treating it like you can clean up whenever you want to or whenever you get ready. Your sin is deep inside of you. Your sin reigns over you, has a dominion over you. And your sin is the deepest desire that you have. And you have to admit that that is who you are. That that is the offense, the stench that you have brought to God. Give up thinking that your sins really aren't that bad and recognize that they are worthy of death and eternal judgment in hell. And instead, turn to Jesus in faith and trust that His death pays the full penalty for your sins and His resurrection from the dead means that one day you will rise too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we respond to that grace by trusting in You and resting in You and repenting of our sins, Lord, I pray that You would call people to Yourself this very moment as we sing this hymn of response. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.